0: Welcome back to the Euro Trips Football Podcast. We are back for another week of reviewing all things domestic football. From the thriller at Anfield yesterday, to whether Inter Milan could potentially not miss play Champions League football next year, and much more. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm this week joined by the regular foursome. So it's me, uh, first of all, joined by Ryan. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, I'm OK, thank you.
0: And our second guest returning is Jonathan Dix. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you.
0: And then finally, making his long long-awaited return is Nine Page. How are you, mate?
2: Doing very well, thank you.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, we may as well start with the the biggest talking point of yesterday, which is you know, be now known as the Euro Trips Derby, as it involves three of our four teams in this chat. So Liverpool played Arsenal yesterday in a game that was crucial for a title race, but not what everyone thought would be to start of the year, as Arsenal will of course have the ones challenging for the title. And they played out a very entertaining 2-2 draw. Um, I mean, it was actually a very exciting weekend of Premier League action. I mean, you had, um, you know, the controversy in Spurs. And that itself got me really angry because that VAR, the, the whole refereeing that game was a shambles. And I feel like Brighton had been cheated out of at least a draw, if not a win. Um, and obviously one of the goals of the week was Son as well in that game. But in terms of this game, this is by far the game of the week. And I think for me personally, and I think a lot of people are saying it as well, this might be the game of the season with all the importance riding on it. Um So, obviously, if you don't know what happened in the game, uh, Arsenal went 2-0 up through goals from Gabriel Martinelli and um Gabriel Jesus, which is um only annoying for me because, obviously, of me and Ryan's bet. And then it all kicked off, basically, from being a very quiet, very easy affair. Granit Jacker basically turned the game upside down. And that whole thing was Trent. kickstarted the Anfield crowd. Liverpool got back into it with Mo Salah. We got a penalty for Rob Holding foul on Jota and Malasala missed the penalty before later on in the game, Bobby Firmino um, got the equaliser once again, I think his 11th goal in his career against Arsenal. But then at the end, we were almost treated to one of the all-time finishes to a game. From one end of the pitch, Canate, I think, should have scored but was denied by Ramsdale, who made two outstanding saves in the shortest time in his game. And then just after Canate missed his chance, Arsenal down the other end, almost had one of the great finishes to the game and almost got the winner. Um, so, first of all, I'll go to you, Ryan. Um, what was your takeaway from the game? And would you say it's a point gained or two points lost?
1: Uh, my takeaway from the game was that I wanted to walk out into the road, to be honest. I was that angry that we dropped two massive points. Um, in hindsight, now looking back, before the game, I said I'd happily take a point Anfield, even when the poor not playing particularly well, it's a very difficult place to win. And uh although I don't buy into the um Anfield atmosphere as as some people do, you know, it's incredible at kickoff, but throughout the game I, I just don't think it's that great. Uh, we 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 don't we've done everything we needed to do in that first half an hour. And I'm also gonna defend my old friend Granite Shaka as well because he got so much stick in that game, particularly from the commentators, uh Carragher and, and, and Gary Neville. Um and I don't believe he actually did that much wrong. I mean, you know, he he left a little bit on on Trent Alexander Arnold um after a bit of a heavy tackle himself. And it was it was Trent who 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 started it all really by you know by giving him a little you know a little shove in the back. And although they you know, they went head to head a little bit, but I don't really think that I watched it back, and it didn't really like get the crowd up. You know, Liverpool scored a couple of minutes later, sure, but it was um, a bit of a fortunate goal for so how how it landed for Salah. You know, he still had to put it in the back of the net, and, and fair play, it was. Um, it, it did change the game, but only because of when when the goal went in just before half-time. and uh, I have to say, I thought the referee was. Shocking for both teams throughout the entire game. Obviously, there was the incident at halftime of the official, but it he was he—he—he he, he was just poor. He had no control of the game whatsoever, and yeah, like I say, I—I I said to you guys, I actually missed the the penalty. I didn't even know there was a penalty until after the game, and I saw that back. That was that was never ever a penalty in one million years, in my opinion. I don't believe Rob Holden did anything wrong. The referee was letting. Fouls like that outside of the area go throughout the entire game. So why change that? You know, just because it was inside the box, you know, going away from goal, didn't understand that at all. And I also didn't understand Mikel Arteta's substitutes I thought taking guard off was a massive mistake. Someone who dictates how we play so much. To take him off and bring Or on, who, don't get me wrong, has looked okay when he has featured. Um He's still very raw, very inexperienced, and I appreciate we don't have many defenders. But all that did was invited pressure and it told in the end, unfortunately. But it was always going to be difficult, especially with Ben White getting a yellow card so early in the game. He had to be very careful. Obviously, it was probably his fault. Um, you know, not marking Firmino at the back post. Yeah, in, in in the end, i will take a point at the end of the day.
0: Right, I got a lot to say about what you just said, Ryan. Um, a lot to dissect. Uh, first of all, I can disagree with the atmosphere thing because, first of all, um, most people, most players I've seen interviewed have said the scariest place to go with Anfield. Um, but for Xhaka, um, I get the point about the fact that, you know, Trent starts to first, but he should know as an experienced player, that, especially with his track record, that you don't, you give, give don't take the bait. And I think that we saw when that incident happened with Trent, the crowd instantly um, got louder. And I think that, um I think just a minute, minute or two later, we did score from that. But I think for Jacques' point of view, it is idiotic because at the end of the day, he knows from experience, the amount of ready cards he's had, he knows that he should know. And he's been so good this year. I've defended him a lot in my life. And he's been one of the best players this season and certainly in midfield, if not the whole league. Um But in this situation, you two 0 up. It's a complete passenger game. That point, we had no, we, we looked nothing like going back in that game. We were so poor. The two goals we conceded were so poor, and it was the second goal, especially, was like a training ground goal. It was just awful defending, and the game was getting away from us. And he should know that. As most home crowds do. They want to wind up the players, and he is the biggest target because he's got the biggest track record of getting angry and getting sent off. So he should know this, and he's just given into that straight away and he's basically, he's taken the bait and you know, we saw Ferguson do all these years, Alex Ferguson did it with Rafa Benitez, with Kevin Keegan. When he went, both times those things happened, we all knew Ferguson was there sitting with his glass of red wine in his house, licking his lips, going, I've got him and I think this is what's happened with Zaka. He's given into that bait from Trent and that really caused the whole thing and I do believe that if that hadn't happened, it would have certainly been two and a half time and I think it would have been Um, a game that you would have won and I think that would have been probably the title winning win for you but um, in terms of the penalty as well I do think it was a penalty because if you look back at the footage Rob Holding's leg does go to the back of Jota's leg Um, whilst I've seen worse penalty given don't get me wrong I've seen worse given um, I do think that it was still a penalty for me uh, but Salah for me, um, it's a worrying trend because for so long, even though his penalties were never the greatest, he always had a great record of scoring. And I do think that I'm surprised, especially after last year, we did use Fabinho a lot for penalties. And he, I think he's only missed one penalty in his career. And he had, certainly in 2019-20, um, at that point for the last three years or so, he had the best percentage of penalties converted after... Said amount of penalties taken in their career. Um, so I'm surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if he is the man taking them if he's on the pitch at that point. Um, Fabinho, when we next get a penalty. Um, but we'll go to the other Arsenal fan in this room in, in this um recording. Uh, Naeem, what was your take on that game and what me and Ryan have both said um so far in this episode?
3: Yeah, I think it was, I think it was a game of like two halves, like so, you know, the first half. I thought we was a better team, you know, we pretty much nearly scored in the first minute. And, you know, I think obviously what you're saying about the crowd, I think after that incident, they kind of did uh, go up another level. Because at that point they were kind of, I don't know, I think I was kind of shocked um, by the way that we were just in control of the game. But yeah, it was just, I I I think the substitutes were wrong as well. Odegaard, he wasn't well. Our midfield wasn't really having the greatest of games. Um, at that point, um, you know, because with the midfield, you got to kind of win that battle to obviously win the game. But yeah, I think Odegaard had a quite quiet game. Saka, Saka, as well. But yeah, I think I think the substitutes they came a bit too late on. It kind of reminded me when we um played Man United at Old Trafford earlier on in the season. So, um, in that game as well, he. Kind of made the subs too late, and then by that point, it was, yeah. Obviously, the game, the game had already gone by then. But obviously, that, we haven't won at Anfield in over ten years. So, I, I always said before the game that uh, we'll, the minimum we'll get is a draw out of the game, and obviously, that's what we did get in the end. Um, I thought Ramsdale; he he pretty much saved us really because you know Cunha could have scored, Salah nearly scored. He had quite a few chances in the game, but. Yeah, with the penalty, I can see why it was given. It was a bit soft, but yeah, I don't know what Rob Holden was doing. You know, Jota was kind of facing away from goal. Like, he didn't really need to do that. But, you know, Rob Holden isn't the greatest of defenders. And obviously, we have to kind of rely on him while Sleeve out. But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, draw is a fair result in the end. Um, and yeah, we just have to bounce back now. And yeah, just try not to lo- um, drop any more points now because obviously, Man City. They only have one more game before we play them next, and we got two. So yeah, if we can win those two games, then yeah, the, the gap will be the gap will be even more further now. So yeah, we've got a few more difficult away games. Uh, we we still got to go to obviously the FEAD and Saint James's Park. So yeah, if we can avoid defeat in both those two games, then yeah, I think I, th- I think we'll be fine. But. Yeah, it was a good game, if you're neutral, but yeah, watching that game, yeah, um, there's kind of edge of the seat stuff being either a Liverpool or an Arsenal fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just want to go back to, to, to Shaka. Um mm. There's a there's almost, there's a myth around him in terms of getting sent off, and Gary Neville doesn't help in that regard, bringing it up so often, but he's, in 220-odd in, in appearances in the Premier League, he's only got four red cards, which... Isn't a lot of most of those actually did come in you know in the towards the start of his yeah. Premier League in, in difficult spells for the club when we weren't performing great you know I can't remember the last time he did actually get sent off and I do remember one or two of those red cards were were quite harsh at the time as well so I think there's a there's a myth there when it comes to him losing his head at the end of the day he's a leader within our squad and I I understand the the, the thing about experience and he should know what to do he's that type of player though it wasn't just him obviously Gabriel Jesus um lost his head a little bit as well he got a bit upset and a bit angry for I uh, don't know if it was Fabinho or Canata it might have been both of them that went into a challenge with him and one of them sort of gave him a little bit of an elbow in the back he wasn't very happy after that and he came back on and he was sort of going here there and everywhere and I think everyone's sort of heads were starting to go a little bit towards yeah. the end of that first half so no, I, I I do disagree with the fact that it's it's almost Shaka's fault that you know the crowd was up and you know they were they were going again and although I hear what you're saying, Andy, about previous players saying how hard, how hard Anfield is, is 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 to go to. I think that's more the fact when um, the game is on 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 a knife edge or maybe Liverpool are winning, in which case most stadiums I think are. Are, are, are pretty much similar. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen or watched a Liverpool game when when they're losing, and you know the crowd is really up for it and going mad, trying to get behind the team. Unless it's maybe one goal in it, or if Liverpool are starting to pressurise a little bit, um, because they were they were pretty quiet after those two goals gone in. And like you say, watching it back, they didn't make that much more noise. In in my opinion. After that incident, so I just think it was um a bit over dramatized, really
3: quickly. Um, I was just checking, yeah. So, the last time Jackal got sent off was last season against Man City when we lost 5 nil So, yeah, since then, obviously, he's got yellow cards and whatnot, but yeah, that this season, hard. yeah, th- yeah, this season, um, we've been quite good. I don't think we've even had a red card, um, this season, so. I think Arteta's obviously worked on that with the players because before we were getting like loads of red cards when he first came um, came in as a team. So yeah, um yeah, that was the last time he got sent off. I mean I mean, yeah, for for Jack, I think that
0: uh, I I like the fact he's that kind of player. I like the fact he wears his heart on sleep. sleeve, but I think you know, you see a lot of you know some teams they change their game plan tactically when they're playing a certain team, and I think that um Jack should have just he should he should have known that was gonna come. And I think that um I think that if you win the league, I think by say one point, for example, I think everyone's gonna look back at Ramsdale and he's gonna be the guy that they look to for that moment. Plus you look at the Reese Nelson goal against was Aston Villa or Bournemouth. Um but if you lose the league by one point, Xhaka is gonna be the guy that's gonna get the most I guarantee. You. Unless something else happens later on down the season, like there's an own goal. Or a back pass. shout out Kodo Torre, um against West Brom. But um if you leave lose the league one point, unless something like that happens, Jack is gonna be the one getting the blame. Because at the end of the day, he should never have done what he did. And I, I disagree as well that um it was a fair result because I, I do think that five minutes more in that game, it would have been I think we'd have scored. I think Arsenal were lucky to get a point, in my opinion, because you yeah, had the missed penalty after the two goals after we scored that first goal, I don't I can't remember a single chance Arsenal had apart from right at the end when that bad pass to Zaka uh right at the end of the game after that penalty chance. But I just can't think of me personally second half anything Arsenal did going forward. I can't think of a chance top of my head. I might miss a complete obvious one, but I just can't think of a single chance they had. But I think that for me Arsenal I think Neville hit the nail on the head perfect in commentary. You get out there and run. Uh, You got your point, which I think could be a great without looking back. That could be a title-defining point and I think the save will be looked back on. But I think that, for me, I think Arsenal were very fortunate to get a point because I think second half, we were by far the better team and I think that um, we could have easily won that game.
1: I think looking at the flip side of that is the first half, it was almost like, you know, scoreboard stuff from Liverpool. They were absolutely dreadful in the first half and we could have very well been out of sight, um, one one more chance, and it could have easily been three 0 and 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 game over. You know, it's obviously football is a game of two halves. Arsenal were the better team in the first half. Liverpool were the better team in the second half. I I, I think a draw was one hundred percent a fair result. I don't think either team in the end could say, you know, we deserve to win the game. Um, like I say, we could have been outside in the first half. Liverpool could have definitely taken the lead in the second half, if not for. Salah's missed penalty, but you know, obviously, I've made my feelings on the penalty clear anyway, and I still think it's soft. But yeah, it, I, 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 I take a point at the end of the day. Um, but we, like I say, we could have easily won it at the end as well. You know, if Mark had placed that pass just a little bit better, yeah, uh, Saka would have been in, and you know, would would have would have won the game at the death again. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it was fair in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think that certainly would have been, you know, you think about the, one of the most famous goals in Premier League history, um, actually, might be off Shavon as well, but um, Stan Collymore. Um, and that was a, a goal right at the end of the game where, you know, it was a very similar thing where, you know, counter attack and stuff like that. And I think that that would have been, that goal would have been, I think now that, that would have won your league. I think that would have been a um, a goal that would have won you the league in the end. Um, and I would have been looked back on. But, um I've got to say, the defending in that game for Liverpool, those two goals, I've, I don't think I've seen many worse goals he conceded ever in my time sitting in, in the crop here. I can think of many before that. Shout out to Adam Bogdan. Um, But the, the defending was awful in that game. It was those two goals. I think, I remember when we won the league, we played City, I think it was the next game. We lost 4-0, 4-1. And that was bad, but you could excuse that because we just won the league. Half the players probably on the booze like before, Um. But that game, those two goals were absolutely shocking. The, the first goal, Van Dijk had an absolute mare, I and mean, he had a t- really bad game, actually, especially the first half. It was awful, and uh, I, I, it's it's worrying from that point of view. And then second goal wasn't much better, and I don't know whether you blame Van Dijk or Robertson for that, for who was marking Jesus, but no one seemed to even get close to him. Um, but at the same time, I do like the way we showed character again. I think that's encouraging for me because a game where there she is pretty much nothing. Well, there was nothing riding on it. Um, I was happy to see some sort of character, um, but I still think that in the, the day, our problem is not home form, it's our away form. um, and that mm-hmm. cursed white kit we've got. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I it was nice to see that we could actually be competitive with a team that's part of the league like Arsenal. And I think that certainly it's a good sign into next year in terms of you look at um, whether we come back to whether we whether we reshape our field or the whole team. But it was nice to see that we have some character left, and I think that is encouraging, certainly for some players who probably have stayed the claim keep keeping their place. Um, finally, before we move on to our next week, uh, we're going to get the neutral point of view. Uh, Jonathan, you were, I'm assuming, watched this game and you were you were an outsider. Um, what was your take on the game overall and just how good that was?
2: I was only able to watch the highlights, but I, I couldn't believe that again, Salah so missed a penalty um and a penalty that he didn't even hit the target on i think is that his second one this season i'm trying to remember second in a row row, yeah second in a row wow and i i don't ever remember him doing that at least in a liverpool shirt before he probably has at some point but um that that stood out to me Uh, the pedaling on on holding was um you know the angles at least that i saw it didn't exactly look like a penalty to me but then again, I might have missed an angler or two that um, showed something different. I think, I think the reason he was given a penalty was probably just because of the the hair transplant. I I sort of missed the old Rob holding with the, with the uh, questionable hairline, but um, so I would again have given him, given him a penalty just for the for the new hair. But uh, I mean, I'm looking at Arsenal's schedule at the moment, um, and the big thing about this is that they no longer control their own destiny. With Man City has a game in hand. And then they play each other in a, in a couple of weeks. So on goal difference, Man City is slightly ahead. But Arsenal, they should win their next two games against West Ham and, and Southampton. And then City, of course. But that four-game stretch of City, Chelsea, I know it's it's Chelsea. But at the same time, it is Chelsea. They still have quite a bit of quality in their team. Newcastle and then Brighton, those, those four games are, are going to side um, the title race and I think the point is huge because while Man City does control their own destiny at this point, so do Arsenal. So without that point, their destiny would be out of their hands um, if they did end up losing to Man City. So a uh, big game, but I still give the edge to Arsenal in winning this title race.
0: Yeah, and I've been actually thinking about Salah's missed penalties, and I, I can't think of three top of my head that he's missed. Um, that would Leicester um, last season, and then two last season, but um I don't remember them being uh, even being saved I think the ones I can think of the three that I remember were off targets I don't think I've actually seen him unless I probably missed a completely wrong one looking at the stats here I think he missed one against uh, AC Milan um in the in last season in the Champions League but um I can't remember whether that one was missed or um saved but um but yeah no it's certainly a worrying time but uh, yeah, we will move on. Um, but we are going to take a quick break when we're back. We're going to discuss all things in the Bundesliga Syria, and La Liga. And welcome back to the Euro Trips podcast. Of course, you can catch. Later on this week, the European one is back as we preview and review all things going on in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, Europa League, and Europa Conference League. And of course, in the Champions League quarterfinals this week is happening on tomorrow and Wednesday. And one and it's a very heavy Italian-based side of the draw. So it's a perfect chance to really go on to the Italian League. And of course, AC Milan play Napoli, and of course they are uh, the top two, I believe, in Syria, if I'm not wrong, and also Inter Milan are playing Benfica. But of course, Ryan, they could miss out on the Champions League altogether next year. Uh, what's been going on in Syria?
1: Um, well, you are wrong there, Andrew, because it's not AC Milan who are second. Um, <laughs> oh no, it is in fact Lazio. Oh ah. um, it was a. Before I do go on to Inter, it was a it was a pivotal weekend in the race for Champions League football. Um, both Milan sides dropped points. Milan were disappointed at that San Siro against Empoli, just a nil-nil draw. And Inter conceded against Salerno Tana with an incredible goal from uh, Kendrava in the 90th minute. Um, really was just, uh, I'm, I'm, I still don't know if it was a cross or if it was a goal. It's one of them ones where it's just, curled over the keeper and into the top corner, and yeah, it was um crazy scenes in Salerno, but massive point for Salernitana, and it leaves into winless now in their last six in all competitions. But going from Milan to Rome, both of those t- teams in Rome are in uh, a good vein of form at the moment. Both got wins at the weekends. Lazio, as I just mentioned. Got a huge win at home against Juventus, who themselves were starting to put wins together and move up the table. But Sarri ball at its finest. Got Lazio the three points. Um, Mattia uh, Zaccani scored an absolutely wonderful team goal uh, with the help of a great assist from Luis Alberto as well. It was a fine goal all around. And yeah, massive three points for, for Lazio, as I mentioned. And it was a brilliant atmosphere pre-game as well as it always is for massive games um, in the Olimpico, but three wins from three for, for Lazio, keeps them second, and they've got a gap of five points now to Roma in third. That's massive, and I think Lazio are now the second-team guaranteed Champions League football for next season. But it is looking likely that one of, if not maybe both Milan clubs, could miss out on next season's Champions League, uh, which would be a, a massive blow to both. But in particular inter just because of their dire financial situation basically um you know they, they they anticipate a revenue roughly around 70 million euros just for participating in the champions league that's before they even get to the knockout stages and that's a vital source of income for them at the moment um it was reported in the la republica that they need to bring in around 500 million euros in the next five years in order to avoid basically financial collapse um, under the current owner anyway. And, you know, they've got a debt right now of around 800 million euros. Um, It hasn't helped that their shirt sponsors' uh, digital bits basically have not paid them um, contractually owed money. There's a there's a whole sort of legal dispute going on there. We know that there's issues with their Chinese owner back in uh, in China, and it all seems like it's a little bit of a mess right now. Um, I could really see a big collapse coming from Inter over the next couple of years because it's not like they have a squad full of young up and coming players either. Their squad is quite old now. Um, You know they've already lost Milan Skriniar, arguably their best defender on a free, um to PSG at the end of the season. They couldn't get a contract renewal done. And that's a massive loss. Um Looking for out their squad, you know, their best player on the right side of their 20s is Bastoni, but they may have to sell him as well just to raise money. Um Handanovic is 38. He, you know, he's he's very much getting on. Lukaku is going to go back to, to Chelsea Hasn't really hit the same form this season as he did last season, and I can't imagine Inter would want to make that deal permanent anyway. Edin Hazard is thirty-seven, Henrik Mkhitaryan is thirty-four. Um, it's, just, it's just it's it's, it's an aging team, and the players who you know have some kind of market value, maybe lots of Nicolo Barella and and Denzel Dumfries, again. You know they may have to have to sell them just to, you know, balance their their budget sheets. And Lattano and Martinez could be another one, but their forward line is is, is worrying because as I say, they'll lose Lukaku. Jako getting on. Joaquin Correa, since he joined from Lazio, has been a major disappointment. it uh, Could just leave him with the one striker in there, which is not going to be good because they're not going to have money to spend really in the summer. Um, you know they're they're looking more towards you know free transfers and whatnot it was a good bit of business getting andre onana in from from ajax on a free um 27 decent age for a goalkeeper but like i say it's 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 worrying times for him. and if they do miss out you do wonder what that means for for next season and 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 beyond really for for them in terms of milan i think financially they they'd be okay it wouldn't be su- such a hit but obviously that's just looking at it from a financial mindset in terms of you know on the field stuff you wonder what then goes through the minds of some of their more talented players I like of Rafael Liao who is obviously there's been a, a contract dispute there for a little while now looks like he may sign a new deal there but uh, that could suddenly change if they don't make you know Europe's elite competition and you know, Tio Hernandez could be another one, one of the best left-backs in European football. And again, they they need to sign players in the summer. They've got, again, another aging um, couple of strikers and Ibrahimovic and Olivier Giroud. They need to sign a right-winger because they don't really have anyone for that position. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting summer in terms of what happens at the end of the season for those two. But like I say, for the two clubs from Rome, they're doing... Very, very well, and they've hit form, you know, at the exact right time with this season, and it's going to be a very interesting end. Um, and in terms of bottom of the league, there's an interesting story from the weekend because the, the other two teams are basically down; they're gone. But Verona and 18th have given themselves a little bit of hope now because they got a last-minute winner against Sassuolo. Mad scenes now someone else looking at this would look at this goal and think, that looks very suspicious. And I don't dispute that because it's 1-1, you know, in the 90-odd minute, and you've got the Sassuolo goalkeeper, Andrea Consigli, basically standing in the middle of his own half, almost like where Manuel Neuer sometimes stands, and they're passing the ball around, not going for a winner, and he just casually passes it directly to Verona's Adolfo Gake, who went from goal almost on the halfway line. And the ball hit the back of the net. 2-1, they won the game. And that now puts them just four points away from Spezia in 17th. And uh, that could be, you know, defining come the end of the season and just really, really odd or, um, you know, watching that and uh, just a quick mention as well to Thiago Motta's Bologna who are currently unbeaten in four games and are sitting an eighth in the table just a point away from Juventus so brilliant season from them and Thiago Motta yet again proving what a talented coach he is even if he does have some strange ideas when it comes to tactics but they seem to work at the moment.
0: Is that a worry for you with the Milan clubs? Uh, the fact that we've seen how competitive Italian football is now. Eagles called Napoli who have sort of come the season was really against the odds and absolutely dominated the league. Four of players like Raphael Leal leaving AC Milan. Um, other players involved uh, could leave in the summer as well. Um, mm. And with, you know, with the, like, Juventus you'd think we'd be back in action as well. You've mentioned Lonza before how much you like them um, mm. and their direction. So if they were to miss out on Italian football, I, I think that sorry, Champions League football. I think that with how competitive it's getting now in Italy, I I do fear for them, and I think that they've already gone down in terms of what they were like 15, 20 years ago when they were the, the especially Aci man, the powerhouses of uh, European football. Uh, I think that whilst they've come back this year, and I think it's great to see for football heritage, Italian football having three teams in this in the quarters and least at least two in the semi final. No, at least one, if not two in the semi-final. I, I do think that it's a worry for them, the fact that they, they may get overtaken. But, of course, you never know. You never know. These things are, you know, all in a potential thing. It might not happen, but I think that um certainly it's um, not good for them if they don't make it. Um, Right, heading on to the next league, which talking of football heritage. One of the all-time clubs we, we've all known over the years to be involved in European football whether it's Europa League, Champions League and certainly in La Liga is Valencia and of course myself being my favourite non-English club um, sad to see going on but um, Naeem over to La Liga of course you've been away for quite a while now on this podcast so let's catch up on La Liga and Valencia who continues to be in the relegation zone
3: yeah so obviously at top of the table Barcelona they're pretty much walking away with the league so um, not, not, not much change there um, Real Madrid, they actually suffered their first defeat at home this, this season to Villarreal. Um, they lost 3-2 at home. Two great goals from Samuel Chukwueze. But after the game, there was an incident that happened. Um, I didn't actually realise until the other day. Um, so basically, uh, Federico Valverde, he actually punched Alex uh, Borea um, in the face. Apparently, it's to do with comments he, or well, he allegedly said that he didn't make um, towards Valverde's wife. Um, I think she had complications um, during her pregnancy, but it's believed that she should be all right now. And I think they're due to have another son. So, yeah. So, um, if if you're saying things like that, then in my opinion, I don't condone violence, but yeah, you shouldn't. You should never really say anything about someone's, you know, um, unborn child. I remember a couple of years ago, the, um. Harry Arta, um a player, made comments about his uh, about his child that was obviously stillborn, um, and he actually got he actually got sacked by his team. So, yeah, I don't condone violence, but yeah, n- n- never never say things like that. But going towards the bottom of the table, yes, we're going to be talking about Valencia. So, obviously, we did talk about them a few weeks ago um, whether they could go down. But at the moment, they're two points from safety. It is quite tight down there. There's only there's only three points separating fifteenth place and nineteenth place. Elche, they're pretty much down and out. They're only on thirteen points, so it's just the last two places. But thing obviously with Valencia, they lost two one on the weekend to Almera, another team that is down there fighting relegation. The problem is Valencia just can't seem to score many goals. Um, even when they win, they only score one goal. They've only scored more than three goals. In three matches, and that was near the beginning of the season. They they got obviously a new manager in. He managed to get two two wins in his last seven games, but the way they're going, uh, we've not been able to score many goals. It's looking looking likely that they might might um will go down for the first time in their history. So, was looking at a run running, running. They've got six teams um in the bottom half. Um, they're yet to play. They've got ten games left. They obviously, they've they got to play Sevilla on the weekend, but they obviously they've got Europa League on Thursday, Sevilla, so I think they are probably focus more on that. I think Sevilla should be safe. They're on 32 points, so I don't think they'll get dragged back down there. But, yeah, they've still got to play Elche, Real Valladolid, Cadiz, Celta Vigo and Mallorca. So, yeah, it's, it's not looking good at the moment, and I don't know. I, I'm not too sure where the goals are going to come from. You know, they. I think they're the third, third or fourth lowest, lowest scorers in the league. So that has been no problem this season. You know, they they've changed manager and it's they've got two narrow wins. But yeah, I think I think that they're at that trouble of going down this season. And yeah, I just wanted to wanted to know what your thoughts are. Do you reckon they'll have enough to to pull out of it, or do you reckon that the lack of goals is their biggest issue and do you reckon they they can get any points against the teams um in in amongst them? I think that what
0: we have seen with a lot of teams that go down, the common denominator normally nine times out of ten is lack of goals. Um, you see, you know, you see now and again you see these teams like a Blackpool for example that score those goals but can't concede. Yeah, but most times you see a team go down, they can have a good defence, but often the case is that they often can't score goals, but. I mean, look at, looking at the table, I mean, there is it's quite tight. I mean, there's three points separating 15th and 19th, you know, only two points more from 15th to 13th. So I think that, you know, whilst there's no one's got games in the hand or anything like that, but I do think that that's what will be in a favour the fact that there is really, it's like the Premier League at the moment. That's you know, another one that's got a handful of points between 13th and 18th. And I think that with that's one thing that eventually will have in a favour is the fact that it's so tight and if they can get a good run of form even just 3 wins in a row or 2 wins in a row, that will go a long way because yeah. these teams are all playing each other as well they're all going to get points from each other so i do think for that point of view um that that will that will massively help them when it comes to trying to
1: survive i think as well if if they did go down i'm trying to think of such such a similar big club that that's gone down surprisingly. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head that were maybe as big as Valencia are.
2: Maybe Schalke.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's a little bit more common in, in the Bundesliga and German football. Instances. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've seen a handful of big clubs there go down in the last few seasons and whatnot. But for Valencia, I don't think people realise as well how how massive a football club they are. And Oh, yeah. You know, the players that have come through their their youth academy you know it's, it's just an absolute well it's it's, it's disgraceful in, in how how they're being run by an owner who has simply lost all interest in the club and it had just just is keeping hold of them basically as a as an asset at the moment um they've sold so many good players over the last three four five years for for nothing as well it's like I don't, I don't understand it. Like they sold Carlos Soler last season to to PSG for about, I think it was twenty million euros, or it might have even been been less than that. And
3: yeah. talking
1: about, you know, on his day, one of the most talented midfielders in in European football, and they sold him for peanuts to a club that aren't even playing him at the moment. And it's someone who's come through the youth academy, he's been at Valencia all of his career, and to do that, I think, is just very. It shows basically. Um, what's happened to the club over the last? You know they sacked Marcelino, didn't they? Yeah. After uh, top four finish and won the Coppa A and they sacked him because um, it was they said. I think they said in the media it was uh, disagreements over over the transfer market, similar to really why they got rid of Caturso. But that just shows you that basically they're not willing to spend any money whatsoever and they're just going to sell their best players every single season. Um, And it it might cost them, because if they go down, I cannot see them getting back up until they get a new owner. And I don't get it. It makes no financial business sense to keep a club like that, especially if they go down. The value in the club will plummet. It's it's, 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 it's really odd. I wish we could invite Mr Lim on here so we could... (laughs) questions
0: well if you are listening um then please do get in contact with us. us on twitter or instagram and if you want to have an appearance on the show um we have some money we can offer you to come on the podcast um if you want to you know if you want to set up a patron if you're one of our eurotripians um out there and you want to um you know get a fun started to get them on um i'm definitely promoting that so yeah um mr Lim, please come on um I've,
2: I've taken quite a quite an interest to, to valencia in the last couple of months as as you know i'll be moving there in a couple of months and um i watched the game over the over the weekend against al maria and they were i thought that they were the better side i mean especially in the second half i know Almeria sat back and were just trying to protect their lead and whatnot so valencia had most of the possession and most of the ball but um yeah, I mean like Naeem said they simply cannot score and the games they are winning, it's just one nil. So they they beat Sociedad one nil, Osasuna one nil, um and they're losing one nil as well. But if you look at the remaining schedule they have left, ten games they play three teams in the top six, but those other seven games against are all against teams that are, you know, either tenth in the table or below. So extremely, extremely winnable games, especially these next three um, it's I. They should stay up. They have the quality still, as bad as their transfer decisions have been in recent years. They still have better quality than these teams like Elche and Espanol and Getafe um, in the table, um, table rival table rivals. But um, yeah, seven games against teams from tenth to twentieth in the table. They should stay up, and and they have to stay up. A club like this, they really do. Not just for my sake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, we mentioned football heritage. I think this is a club that, you know, has to stay up. I think that it's a, you know, I get that, you know, no one's good to go down. I get that whole narrative. But at the same time, I do think that, um, you know, there are a club that has to be involved because this is a team that, albeit this is 20 years ago, they they made back-to-back Champions League finals. They won La Liga. Uh, and they won the UEFA Cup as well. Um, you know, in 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 a league that is dominated by the Madrid, Real Madrid and Barcelona every year. So I think that this is the club that you know. And I think we're seeing it with Leicester on a lesser lesser extent. Of course, they could be going down. A team that won the Premier League just six seven years ago. Um, and I think that it'll it will be a shame because this is the team that deserves to be really with their size, not just staying up. They deserve to be really. Competing for at least Europa League, if not Conference League, they shouldn't be a team that's battling relegation and having these issues. And I think that it's a real shame because it is, yeah, it is, it is one of the saddest stories in European football history. Um, speaking of which, another one we hate to see, but it happens every year. Bayern Munich dominate the Bundesliga, and this year looks like they're going to win it again potentially. Um, so Jonathan, you want to talk about potentially who might get top four and um in the Bundesliga?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another, this was actually a really big weekend on, on match day 27. Dortmund beat Union. Bayern beat Freiburg. Um, so it stays the same at the top of Bayern and Dortmund 1-2. Dortmund still two points behind. And then at the bo- bottom, Schalke um, lost to Hoffenheim. So now they're rock bottom of the table. And Stuttgart beat Bochum, which means that Stuttgart is now in the relegation playoff spot with uh, how many match days do you have now? Seven? I believe, yeah, seven match days left. Um, there's going to be a lot more flip-flopping, especially at that bottom. But yeah, I do not see Bayern losing this one to Dortmund, although it's still theoretically possible. All Bayern need to do is lose one game and Dortmund have to be perfect um, to end the season. But knowing Dort- Dortmund's perfection is far from uh, what's actually going to happen with them. I-, I wanted to especially focus on Eintracht Frankfurt this week. And um, we've talked about the top and we've talked about the bottom. Um, in these last few weeks. But this is a club that won the Europa League last year. Uh, They were in the Champions League this year, got to the knockout stages, lost to a far superior Napoli side. But they're now seventh in the Bundesliga table, really hovering on those European spots. And they've been really, really bad these last couple of months in league play. They haven't won since mid-February in the Bundesliga. They lost, uh, again, this past weekend to Leverkusen. And it's a club that is is not on the brink of disaster, but this is going to be a pretty, pretty difficult summer as they have several key players that are going to leave on free transfers. So you have um, in defense, Evan Indica. He will definitely be gone on a free. Um, let's see, who else do we have here? I know Daichi Kamadai There's a good chance he'll join Dortmund on a free. Jibril So, he wants to move to the Premier League. We talked about Jesper Lindstrom a little bit last week. He is not out of contract this summer, but there's a good chance, and he's been practically begging for a move to Arsenal or or to the Prem as well. And then, you know, Engsler-Knauf, his loan ends. He's going back to Dortmund. And Randall Kolomuani, who's now being linked with clubs like Bayern, clubs like United, 100 million euros, somewhere in that range, if uh, Marcus Kroosch, the sporting director at Frankfurt, does decide to let him go. But I think the issue with Frankfurt at the moment, they started the season off fairly well. Many expected them to get into that fourth spot with clubs like Leipzig and Leverkusen having a bit of a down year. Um, But at this point, it doesn't even look like they're going to be able to get into Europe. It just feels like they have so many players whose heads are elsewhere. They're already gearing up for the following season at a new club. Um, Even their manager in recent weeks, Oliver Glasner, he the press conference this weekend after their loss, he walked out. He wouldn't even finish the press conference. He did the same thing just a couple of weeks ago. He has a contract extension that's been waiting on the table for nearly two months now. Um, and Tottenham have also reportedly been trying to see if he's interested in taking over the job at the end of the season. Um, and I think it's in his contract if he decides to leave the club before the final day of the Bundesliga season, I don't think he gets that exit clause of, of some type of money that's released. So he has to make a decision before that final match day. It's, it's just a mess at Frankfurt um, and a really interesting story, a club that's still fairly stable. It's not like a Valencia um, or a Chelsea where you're like, you have no idea what's going to happen. They still have decent management and charge but at the same time, there's been quite a bit of mismanagement with letting these star players just see at the end of their contracts instead of getting some money for them last year when uh, they could have profited.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff. And I think that it's um, a really interesting league because, you know, it is just... I, I don't know how German fans watch this league. It's just because it is every year. Uh, the same team winning it, and I, I think that it is just, um. I mean, obviously I don't watch Bundesliga that much, but you know, it's a league that we've seen one team win it the last 10 years that wasn't Bayern, um, you know, you've seen even before that, yeah, so you saw Wolfsburg do it, there's a few years of Bayern where they were going through a rebuild, but you know, every year we get teased with the whole thing about, oh, this team could challenge, this team could challenge, and you know, Union Berlin earlier this year with Evelyn points was Bayern and Dortmund and, you know, Leipzig for a few years were looking like they could potentially challenge, but Every year is the same thing, Bayern just show why they're one of the biggest European superhouses because every year they just end up still winning it. And I think I can't see, even if there's only two points between them, I just think that it's going to be Bayern once again.
2: Ah, I, I agree. I think German fans have, they they've fallen in love with trying to find other storylines as well, whether it be that that bottom three who's going to get relegated, but they've almost accepted the fact at this point unless something absolutely crazy happens it's going to be bayern it's going to be bayern again so we always try and find um you know different different stories to try and focus on and and there's there's such a love in germany for the bundesliga because of 50 plus 1 because fans actually feel like and they actually do have a say in their club um so the love is still there even with bayern i think it's definitely hard um for, for some people who don't follow the league as much to understand, and that's not to say I would still love for for someone other than Bayern to win, but um, there we definitely try and and find some other stories to to look upon and try and distract from the fact of Bayern winning yet another title.
1: Yeah, well, could I? Obviously, I understand they've got quite. I mean, their their running doesn't look too bad. I got, there's nothing really that stands out maybe apart from RB Leipzig, but they have shown this season, a bit like Man, Man City, that they're not bulletproof in every single game. And um, obviously, they're still being still in the Champions League with two massive games against City to play. If they do get through that, potentially two big games as well against Real Madrid. Could that play some impact in the title race? Um, obviously, I don't believe Dortmund are are in Europe anymore. So they've pretty much got a clear run at it now. So I wonder if that could impact things.
2: I I think so. I I think, I mean, we saw this past week um, on the weekend, Bayern barely beat Freiburg 1-0 and then they lost to them in in the Pokal. So they're out of that competition. Um, But especially if they do advance past Man City and they keep on having to play these games, Um, That little bit of focus is going to be pulled off league play. I'm looking at that Mainz game as well on on April 22nd. Bayern have to travel away to Mainz, and Mainz have been really, really good in the last two months or so. Um, I I think the key for Bayern, Eric Choupa-Moting is not going to play this week against Manchester City, and so obviously they don't have Lewandowski anymore, and Choupa-Moting has sort of fallen off in the last month or month and a half. Sané, you know, he keeps on... Uh, making these unbelievable runs and, and be able to get in front of goal by himself with a clean shot through on goal and can't seem to finish to save his life. So if if these wingers like Gnabry hasn't been producing as much as, as he was in, earlier in the season, um, if these wingers continue to struggle like they have these past couple of weeks or so, I could definitely see Bayern dropping out. I'd still peg them to win the title, but... Um, you know, I can't say it's over yet. And, th- and thankfully this year, you know, the last, gosh, five or six years, probably by now it would have been already definitely over. But at least mathematically Dortmund have uh, more than a decent enough chance to f- to somehow sneak in and win it.
0: Yeah, and certainly it's going to be an interesting one to see how, how that goes the last, what is the last month and just over a month left of the season. Um, Before we do go and run out of dodge, um, just a quick prediction from you all. Off you. We're going to be doing European one later on this week, which Ryan will be hosting. But a quick prediction, boys. Um, first legs. Well, uh the four teams involved, the four games involved in these quarterfinals. Who's making it? Who's winning these games in the first leg? Uh, nine. We'll go to you. A uh, quick fire. Uh, which four? Which of the four teams you think are going to advance,
3: or at least win the first leg? Uh, so Real Madrid will win. What's the other games? Uh, what do I
0: want <laughs> Inter, Benfica,
3: and Napoli, AC Milan. Yeah, so I'm going to go Man City, um, Benfica, Napoli and Real Madrid. Okay, and uh, Ryan? Mm
1: -hmm. Napoli. Uh, First leg between Inter and Benfica will be a draw. First leg between City and Bayern will be a draw. And Real Madrid will run riot against Chelsea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that, to me, even though it's a new manager bounce, to a certain extent, uh, we all know Lampard has been there before and that didn't work out. But um, yeah, I think they, they could potentially get a nil-nil draw or something, but I can't see it being anything other than... I think that'll be, for me, out of the four games involved, that I think this could be the most one-sided affair before. of the four. Um, I think Bayern in advance, but I think City win the first leg due to being home, I can see maybe 1-0, 2-1, but I can still see Bayern winning in, in the second leg of the Allians. Uh Benfica-Inter, um, I think Benfica will just edge that, and I think Napoli will win against Milan. Uh, Jonathan, final one for you. Uh,
2: I think Benfica will narrowly edge Inter in the first leg, and I think uh, Benfica advance overall. I think Man City will draw uh, against Bayern tomorrow. But I think Bayern are going to sneak out and just move past them in the end. I like Real Madrid all of the way. Um, and then Milan at home to Napoli. I, I think they will probably get a draw out of that. And then I think in the end, just on form this season, um, Napoli will, will be a little bit angry after their terrible loss. What was that, a week or two ago? Um, I think Napoli advance over AC Milan.
0: Fantastic stuff. And that is where we will end this week's edition of the Trips Football Podcast. Do remember to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and do subscribe to our YouTube channel where we are going to bring you some exciting new videos in the next week or two. So head over there if you want to subscribe. We're trying to make it to 500 for now and try to make it to 1,000 subscribers by the end of the year. So hopefully you can make that happen. But this has been the Trips Football Podcast. I've been Andy. This has been Jonathan, Naeem and Ryan. And we'll see you guys.